It is such a pleasure for me this morning to stand in the pulpit to offer my own Christian witness in attempting to live life consistent with the teachings of Jesus as recounted in the Holy Scripture. This is my sixth Sunday at St. James, so I realize most parishioners are still getting to know who I am. Leaving San Francisco and moving to Los Angeles felt overwhelming in the thought of trying to find the right church to, to, um, to begin to place my stole, we call it hanging our stole, almost felt insurmountable. I was ordained to the priesthood in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and literally never had the opportunity to celebrate the Eucharist in person until I came to St. James. My embodied congregation consisted of three stuffed animals gathered around my computer just out of view from my laptop camera while I attempted to act as priestly as I could as co-cyber celebrant to my St. Aidan's congregation in, Saint, in, uh, in uh, San Francisco. The first time I walked into St. James just a few weeks ago, I felt so moved by the number of people who walked up to me, said those magical words, good morning, and made me feel so absolutely welcomed. And offering my first sermon this morning, the words of the Song of Solomon really do resonate in my heart. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away, for now the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. I really feel like I have found where I really, really need to be, and that's a great feeling. I truly feel blessed to formally begin my ministry with the people of St. James, who I feel I have known for, for, for a while. The Gospel of Mark and the Epistle from James this morning have special meaning to me and my ministry, and I think as important to my, to my understanding of being a Christian and our duty to proclaim the gospel and to be disciples of Christ. I was born in upstate New York, about 60 miles from the city of New York. My mom was a homemaker and my dad was the personnel manager for the second largest employer in town. We were a pretty uh, ordinary family, except that everyone in the neighborhood considered us to be the, the rich Jews in the neighborhood. While I got used to being picked on while waiting for the school bus, the most traumatizing experiences came at the hand of two boys who were ruthless in their beatings, following a baseball game, or being lured into the woods. What made this violence most perplexing as a, as a small kid was that both of these boys were altar boys in their church. And their, and their parents, proud and respected Christians in the greater community. I remember arguing with my parents why I was forbidden from calling them names or engaging in other acts of righteous retaliation. It just didn't seem to make any sense why they always discouraged me from doing so. In spite of the abuse I took from Richie and Bobby growing up, I did manage to survive high school. I graduated from college and enjoyed a really rewarding career in local government as a city manager. 
But all that changed in 2007 when the local news media learned that I had future intentions to live my life as Susan Stanton. This revelation was shocking to everyone who thought they knew Stephen, who had trusted him. The community I managed and loved was known for its small town values and close-knit sense of togetherness. It was where I married my pretty girl from Kentucky, who eventually became the mother to my son, who today is a deputy sheriff protecting and serving this beautiful community I once called home. Many people in my hometown ask, what kind of a man could turn his back on a community, his son and his wife, to pursue such a, a perversion forbidden by God? Hundreds of people came before city council, demanded that I be fired for such a huge transgression. The loudest voices came from people defending the Bible and quoting the very scripture that I've studied and lived by. The loudest voices came from people defending the Bible and quoting scripture. Some spoke of the prohibition with the book of Deuteronomy or Leviticus, but they were all sincere in defending the wholeness of the community as they believed it to be. However, the most per persuasive arguments to fire me were made by men of God who were pastors in their local churches. If Jesus were here tonight, one pastor said, he would tell you to fire Steve Stanton. And after a long six-hour meeting, they did. When I think about Jesus' conversation with the disciples this morning, I think about that crazy night in Florida when I was fired for being transgendered, or the arguments I always attempted to make to my parents how best to respond after being beaten up by the Christian boys because I was the dirty Jew. Both boys, children of respected, church-going Christian family, and later members of my hometown defending family values, believed that I was spiritually unclean and unacceptable to God because of my religious affiliation or my gender identification. Each believed that they were acting in accordance with the Bible and even perhaps the teaching of Jesus Christ. The conversation recounted by Mark this morning takes place after sending his disciples to Bethesda, being mistaken by a ghost in the early morning hours, and curing sick, curing the sick wherever he and his disciples went. I imagine how truly exhausted he and they were feeling the morning the Pharisees approached them to complain about them eating with their hands and not observing the purification rituals which Leviticus said made a person unclean and unacceptable to God. In both versions of this event told by Matthew and Mark, I can feel Jesus' emotion as he proclaims, listen to me, all of you, and understand. That phrase just resonates in my in my in my heart. Listen to me, all of you, understand. There is nothing outside of man which, by going into him, can defile him, but the things which come out of a man defile him. 
Such words coming from a rabbi must have been startling to everybody who heard them. But when I hear his softer, intimate words which follow, I suggest it's one of the most profound assertions in Mark's gospel. For it is within, from the human heart, that evil intention comes from. Which really was what my parents were trying to tell me when they refused to sanction my desire to retaliate against the good Christian kids who were most likely just doing what they heard their parents talking about during their family dinner. In her biblical commentary, Dawn Wilhelm suggests that each of the sins that are listed in Mark's gospel are really reflective of a heart that is turned away from God, which impacts our relationships with one another so that personal sin becomes social sin. She asserts that Jesus' words remind us that the growth in our capacity to love is directly related to an increased awareness of these hidden intentions of all of our hearts. It's easy in a modern world to dismiss the importance of evil intentions, which Jesus warned his disciples, to focus on the irrelevant and the insignificant problems in the world which prevent us from fully engaging in our faith. Simply stated, Jesus tells us not to misinterpret what is important to God in living, and maybe most importantly, practicing our faith. In our epistle, James, I think, refines the teaching of Jesus by suggesting that we should be doers of the world and in the world, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves, reading scripture, attending church, and not succumbing to evil intentions. But James goes one step further. He loudly challenges us to be active in, 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 the, in how we engage in the world and how we practice our faith seven days a week, not just on Sunday. Most importantly, James challenges us to look into the mirror and examine those hidden intentions that might be keeping us all from engaging in the world truly as disciples of Christ. Are we attending church to simply socialize and hear great music, or are we using this time to truly understand Holy Scripture and deepen our relationship with God to be more fully engaged in the world to love and serve Christ? What good is it, James asks, if you say you have faith but fail to truly put it into, put it into practice? I think most boldly, James asserts that faith by itself, if it has no works, if it's not actively engaged, is dead. When Jesus was walk, talking to his disciples about purity and righteousness, he most certainly was talking to doers who gave up their own livelihood, careers, and eventually their lives to follow him and proclaim the gospel. Clearly, they were attempting to do as we do today, to avoid those hidden evils to manifest, that manifest in every heart. Because I think we're all broken and at times sinful in how we live our lives. In our opening colic this morning, we ask God to graft in our heart the love of your name, increase in us true religion, nourish us with goodness, 
and bring forth in us the fruits of good work. Listening to these words sounds like listening to joyful poetry. But today, perhaps, we're being challenged to do more than simply hear these words, but to examine how we each bring forth the fruits of good work, to not only be disciples of Christ, but to make the world a better place to live. As your newest assisting priest, I'm extremely excited to hear your life story, how you make St. James your church home, and how I can best use my gifts as a priest to help you engage in your faith and potentially understand some of the Holy Scripture that it sometimes feels is often misapplied in the world. As a former city manager for 30 years, I managed cities in New York, Alaska, Illinois, Kentucky, Florida, California, and I'm familiar with the most places around the nation, and I really do enjoy listening to people's reflections on their hometown before they came to Los Angeles and look forward to doing that with each of you as, uh, as the years go by. And while I take pride in my scholarship and academic achievement, I also struggle with a reading disability, which constantly reminds me of my own humanity and vulnerability. I will never claim to have all the answers, and as an Episcopalian, I feel it's a good thing to question church doctrine, ask the tough questions of each other and to clergy, and to push back when our hearts tell us to do so. To always be mindful that our religious practices and rituals never become obstacles from continually seeking and serving Christ and all the persons that we meet and loving our neighbor as ourselves with all of our heart. I know from personal experience, good people are capable of doing some really bad things in the name of God, when they believe that their actions or causes are righteous and consistent with their own hermeneutical understanding of the Bible. I believe none of us live perfect lives. We're all capable of evil intentions and sometimes even like the Pharisees, failing to see the forest from the tree. In this very crazy and demanding time we live in, I believe we are called to continually ask ourselves, what is important to God? And then become active doers in perfecting God's kingdom here on this earth. I pray that what I've said this morning is faithful and true to the teachings of Jesus. Amen.